Welcome to Wild West Podcast, where fact and legend merge. The Wild West Podcast presents the true accounts of individuals who settled in a town built out of hunger for money, regulated by fast guns who walked on both sides of the law, patrolling, investing in, and regulating the brothels, saloons, and gambling houses. These are the stories of the men who made the history of the Old West come alive, bringing with them the birth of legends, brought to order by a six-gun and laid to rest with their boots on. Join us now as we take you back in history to the legends of the Wild West. The beautiful, bibulous Babylon of the frontier. Standing out on the extreme border of civilization, like an oasis in the desert, or like a lighthouse off a rocky coast, is the beautiful, bibulous Babylon of the frontier, Dodge City, so termed by Lewis, editor of the Kinsley Graphic. Dodge City, Kansas started out in 1872 as a wild outpost of buffalo hunters and soldiers, small in numbers, but marked by many violent deaths. It only took 10 years for Dodge City to build the wild and wicked reputation it had held since the town's beginning. The city's population of 500 that first year was due almost entirely to the buffalo trade. The buffalo hunters and the soldiers from Fort Dodge came to the makeshift settlement to buy supplies, drink, and to get away from their boredom. Even though a town company had organized the small settlement in August of 1872, the city was still unincorporated. The town had no elected or appointed officials. A county government had not yet been organized, and consequently there were no courts, jails, or official law enforcement in the region. The closest known law was located in Hayes City, over 100 miles away. From August 1872 to July 1873, there were approximately 30 killings in Dodge City. Dodge City's privately hired lawmen like Billy Brooks were not up to the job of policing the settlement and by February of 1873, a vigilance committee had to be organized. Most of the business people who formed the vigilance committee brought in hired guns to protect their holdings. Within four months, the vigilance committee killed two men, ran five others out of town, and brought in a buffalo hunter named McGill, who had been shooting up the town. In March of 1873, members of the vigilantes, including John Scott of Peacock's Billiard Saloon, and James Hanrahan of the Occident Saloon chased down a buffalo hunter by the name of McGill. McGill's crime for the day was disturbing the peace by shooting up the town. McGill made it just outside of town when he decided to take his needle gun and open fire on Hanrahan and Scott. The response was deadly. Hanrahan and Scott returned to Dodge City with McGill, less of the fines for his damages, but he paid properly, strapped over his horse, and riddled with bullets. The honor, now being portrayed as becoming an active member of the Vigilance Committee, began to circulate on March 13th, with Tom Sherman's induction into the Vigilante Honorarium. Tom Sherman's saloon and dance hall was one of the wildest saloons in Dodge City, Kansas during the 1870s. Tom Sherman, the proprietor, was a hard case when it came to dealing with any social problem that revealed himself in his saloon. Such was the case on March 13th, 1873 when Sherman threw a troublemaker named Charles Burns out of his saloon. Sherman then chased Burns out into the street and shot him. After shooting the man once, Sherman reportedly commented on his poor aim. 
As Sherman walked up to his target as he writhed in pain, he said, I'd better shoot him again, hadn't I, boys? Then Sherman fired a shot into the man's head at point-blank range, killing him. Three months later, in that same year of 1873, the Vigilance Committee had attracted disreputable personalities who brought joy to the act of vigilance. It seemed as if any individual who wanted to enforce the law could join the Vigilance Committee and get away with breaking the law. Simply put, mob rule was at hand, more so than the intent for public good. The violence climaxed on the night of June 3, 1873, when two committee members seized a wagon and team of William Taylor. William Taylor, a servant of Colonel Richard Dodge, commanding officer of Fort Dodge, was on dispatch to pick up supplies. Taylor was inside Dodge City's general store when he witnessed John Scotty Scott and another man taking off with his wagon. Taylor ran out to stop the two thieves from driving off with the wagon. With their getaway halted by Taylor, the aggravated Scotty pulled his pistol and shot one of Taylor's mules. Taylor objected to John Scotty's actions. Scotty, with his revolver already pulled and his gun barrel still smoking from killing the mule, decided to smoke Taylor. John Scott and William Hicks dragged the wounded Taylor to Herman J. Fringer's drugstore. While Fringer attended to Taylor's wounds, a drunken vigilance mob entered the drugstore. The mob pushed Fringer out of the way and dragged Taylor into the street. Taylor begged for his life with no avail. It was when the vigilance mob reached the middle of the street that Taylor must have realized his fate was near at hand. The drunken mob pulled their revolvers in unison while Taylor closed his eyes in a blaze of a dozen shots quilting the air from his lungs and sending him into the everlasting darkness. The darkness the world would not allow to be blown away in the anomaly of the up-and-coming storm of one man's revenge. Taylor had been the personal cook for the post commander in nearby Fort Dodge. Colonel Dodge was so outraged that he wired the governor of Kansas and got special permission to arrest the guilty. Troops entered the town the next day and arrested Bill Hicks, who was later convicted. On June 5th, troops entered again and arrested five of the worst vigilantes, including Tom Sherman. On June 5th, the same day of Sherman's arrest, a special election was held and Charles Bassett was elected to serve as the first sheriff of Ford County. Wild West Podcast is now offering to our global listeners digital books of our most popular stories. To find out how you can order a book, go to boothillproductions.com and select Publications. Now back to our story. In 1876, the Kansas legislators, echoing farmers' concern over tick fever, quarantined the entire trail corridor. As a result of these route changes, Dodge City, by 1876, became a destination point for Texas cowhands. Dodge City was to become a primary supply center and recreational venue, rather than a trailing destination. Many thousands of herds, scheduled to be driven through Dodge, were to be delivered to the northern ranges or shipped out from other railheads. As the cattle shipping season of 1876 approached, Dodge City townsmen braced for a new incursion. The business owners had heard how the Texas men had tried, sometimes successfully, to take over the northern cow towns. Abilene, Newton, Ellsworth, and Wichita had all had their troubles with the Texans. These were the Texas cowboys who, after a month or two on the trail, eating dust of the Longhorn herd, wanted nothing better than to clean out a town. Cleaning out of town meant that they could celebrate by galloping madly through the streets, 
shooting indiscriminately at signs, windows, and the derby hats of townsmen. Although Dodge welcomed the cattle trade and the thousands of dollars worth of business it would bring the local merchants, the anticipated cowboy invasion was awaited with some apprehension. When learned that Dodge City's primary role was to serve as a supply point and way station for herds, city organizers rallied to form future business ventures. To keep the cattle drives from circling the western end of town, a plan was needed to lure cowboys into local establishments before moving on to Ogallala. As the cattle shipping season of 1876 approached, Dodge City townsmen braced for a new economic opportunity. They formed a special council on Christmas Eve of 1875. This particular council of businessmen met to appoint temporary officials. These selected men were to hold office until a municipal election was planned the following April. The special council immediately parted in differences, and on Christmas Eve of 1875, Dodge City became a divided town. The division came when one of the members of the individual committees proposed the idea of ordinances. He merely stated, I believe we should have an ordinance prohibiting the firing of guns within the city limits. He continued to make his point by stating, I also believe we should have a law not allowing the riding of horses over sidewalks and into the saloons. A bitter debate broke out. Those businessmen who hungered after the cattlemen's trade strongly opposed any restrictions on the cowboys. This side of the discussion feared that the cattlemen would look elsewhere for a shipping point. Heading this group was Bob Wright, the former Fort Dodge settler, whose general store opened in partnership with Charlie Rath, was one of the first businesses established in Dodge City. In 1876, and for many years to come, Bob Wright was Dodge City's most prosperous businessman. Allied with Wright were James H. Dog Kelly and his partner Peter L. Beatty, proprietors of the Alhambra Saloon, Gambling Hall, and Restaurant. George B. Cox, another early rival, always sided with the Wright forces. Cox came to Dodge City from Lorned in 1872 and built the 38-room Dodge House, which opened on January 18, 1873. Opposing the Dodge City gang was a group of men who claimed to stand for law and order, led by wholesale liquor dealer George M. Hoover. Physician Sam Galland, lawyer Dan M. Frost, and livery stable owner Ham Bell were prominent in this faction. Hoover was a Dodge pioneer, having sold whiskey to the soldiers from Fort Dodge in a tent on the town site as early as 1871. Galland, Frost, and Bell did not establish residence until 1874, however, and early settlers Wright, Kelly, Cox, and others considered them Johnny's come lately, and resented their attempts to change the character of the town. Peter L. Beatty was selected as acting mayor. Beatty served in the capacity of mayor from the December 1875 meeting of town leaders until April 1876. At the first municipal election in April of 1876, George Hoover was elected mayor, heading a five-member council weighted three to two in favor of the law and order adherence. A resolution of the temporary city council to deal with misdemeanors and punishment for same had been agreed to after much debate at the Christmas Eve meeting. But during the regime of gang member Beatty, none of the resolutions were enforced. Upon his election, Mayor Hoover moved to implement the six provisions that visiting members of the community would follow. These provisions for the enforcement of order included six provisions. The first and second provisions barred animals from the sidewalks, with the latter prohibiting the riding of animals into places of business. 
The third provision banned the discharge of firearms within the corporate limits, other than by those empowered to employ same, except on 4th of July, Christmas, and New Year's Day, and the evenings preceding these holidays. The fourth banned the carrying of firearms within the city limits by persons other than peace officers or persons proceeding into or out of town. The fifth required all visitors to check firearms immediately upon arrival at racks to be provided at hotels, corrals, stores, and saloons, and forbade the proprietors of those establishments to return weapons so checked to owners who were intoxicated. The sixth provision dealt with public intoxication and offenses against order and decency, not covered by the other five. Wild West Podcast is now offering to our global listeners digital books of our most popular stories. To find out how you can order a book, go to boothillproductions.com and select Publications. Now, back to our story. Mayor Hoover appointed as city marshal a 300-pound saloon keeper named Larry Digger. Marshal Digger was not renowned as a fighting man. His political points of view to act in the capacity to enforce the new radical regulations may have troubled him. Hoover, on the other hand, needed a substantial body of individuals who could uphold the law. Matt Masterson's brother Jim was in Dodge, a good game man who could handle himself in a fracas. Jim was picked by Hoover for one deputy, and Bat Masterson, Jim's brother, as the second deputy. Bat came in from Sweetwater, Texas, still limping from his leg wound he got when he killed Sergeant King. Bat's gun hand was in working order, so Hoover made him a deputy. He patrolled Front Street with a walking stick for several weeks and used his cane to crack the heads of several wild men hunting trouble. Even as a disabled person, he was a first-class peace officer. Hoover was looking for a third deputy when, by circumstance, a young departing deputy sheriff from Wichita by the name of Earp was exploring a new source of income. Wyatt Earp had been relieved of his duties and may have traveled to Dodge City to work at his brother Jim's brothel. He just happened to arrive in Dodge City when law enforcement was at its highest level of need. A deadline was drawn at the railroad. South of the tracks in the sporting district, almost anything went, including gunplay, but north of the line, a sportive cowboy with a gun on his hip was in for trouble. The officers informed arriving drovers that any breach of the local ordinances along Front Street would bring immediate arrest, a night in the calaboose, and a hefty fine. That's it for now. Remember to check out our Wild West podcast shows on iTunes Podcasts, or at wildwestpodcast.buzzsprout.com. We would like to conclude our show by reminding our listeners to check our up-and-coming digital bookstore by revisiting boothillproductions.com and select publications. Thanks for listening to our podcast. This podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons attribute, non-commercial licenses. You can learn more about the legends of Dodge City by visiting our website at worldfamousgunfighters.com or visit us at boothillproductions.com.